This episode of Good Sheilas is proudly brought to you by a brilliant lady startup, Radiant Soul Yoga. Founded and run by our wonderful Sheila, Danny, Radiant Soul has a dedicated online platform for yoga practice that is authentic, warm, and balanced. There's room to laugh, release our ISO range, and show up in being totally safe and ragged trackies rather than Lululemon. Mm-hmm. Online yoga means your body can make all the noises it's capable of. Good. So if ISOs left you with a limp personality like Claire's and a weathered <laughs> body like Bronze, get stuck into their online courses. If you're a beginner, expecting a baby, an experienced yogi, or want to introduce yoga to the kids, Radial Soul has a course for you. Yes, someone can teach our kids. Finally. <laughs> Good Sheila's listeners get a massive 20% off by entering Good Sheila's at checkout for all of September. Ooh. Check out our Instagram for all the details. Fun fact about Claire. When we were in high school, Claire got a role in an absurdist play where she played a woman with multiple personalities. <laughs> Some moments in the play, she was somber and gentle. Then, as quick as a flash, she was edgy and angry. <laughs> I remember her drastic shifts in her body and as she changed from one character to another, but her facial expressions from meek to furious and vice versa were completely unforgettable. <laughs> it was the most confusing role to watch and I'm still waiting for her debut in Neighbours any day now. Because <laughs> I was like 17, I was like, this is high art. <laughs> it wasn't. Good Sheilas, the podcast that will turn your stomach and warm your heart as we reflect on what makes all of us tick. I'm Bron, a Melbourne comedian. And I'm Claire, a human rights lawyer. And we're longtime friends, short-time mums and lifetime dickheads. Each episode we tackle something in the media as well as something in life that's kicked us in the gut. So strap yourselves in, mongrels, and get ready for Good Sheilas. Hey, mate. Hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm alright. How are you? I'm very, very, very well. In Victoria, we are doing very well with the lockdown. We have only got 11 cases today. Exactly, and the numbers of the rolling averages are going down, and hopefully our vernacular will change very soon, so rolling averages isn't something I say multiple <laughs> times in a day about rolling averages. You're welcome to switch personalities whenever you want. I'm always waiting You're for it. So if you can hear yelling in the background, that is children. Enjoy. Disgusting. So, uh, how have you been lately, Claire? Oh, mate, it's been it's been six months, right? It's six months, which is a really long time. And today, I just feel a bit emotionally exhausted, a bit just physically exhausted. Like it's, this has gone for a really long time, and the pressure is really intense right now with work and paying for things as a single income household. Mm. And yeah, I just, I'm having one of those days where I'm just like, fuck it, fuck everything. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. And do you know, I a hundred percent support that. And I'm not going to tell you to feel anything different because do you know what I hate is when people to tell, tell me to feel differently. I just want to feel annoyed for a day. Like, yeah. How hard is it <laughs> to just give someone space to feel fucked off. I feel annoyed today. I just feel Good. a bit put out. And again, like I don't need anything except for like a sleep and a bath and 
not to have children. <laughs> if you are asking me to bathe you. <laughs> Please bathe me and kill my kids. <laughs> no, I just, it's just one of those days. But I feel that thing that happens particularly to women when if they're not having a good time, they feel like they have to mitigate and apologize. Like, and it's so much easier to say, I'm great. I'm not great today. Yeah, good for you. And you should totally embrace that because mm -hmm. tomorrow will be different or it might not be different you might feel a bit shit for days and that's okay it's so annoying that people try and fix it for you i think that's really annoying you can't fix me no i <laughs> think that, that's actually been some tense moments in our friendship is when i will say i'll just need space i'll be like look i'm fine i just am annoyed or i'm not fine i'm just annoyed yeah <laughs> like let me be annoyed. like every day <laughs> and you're, correct welcome to me and you will be like okay and then you will try and fix it for me which is so nice and way more than lots of people would do but you'll try and fix it and i'll be like claire this is very kind but honestly pack off <laughs> i have changed my number for a reason <laughs> And it's, it is an interesting comment because I'm a fixer. Like, it's what I do. I yeah. try to fix people. I try to help. I try to fix. And sometimes it actually invalidates what people are feeling because you're like, actually, it's not that bad. And here, I'll show you how it can be better. Yeah. And people try and find the silver lining in things mm. for you. They're like, you know, I remember when, um, when I was a kid doing this for mum. My mum had really bad depression. I remember her being really sad and me not understanding it. Um, and trying to point out all the good things in her life. Mm. <laughs> and honestly, now that I look back at it, the things I was pointing out were just bullshit. I was like, <laughs> Mom, you've got five healthy kids. <laughs> She'd be like, that is a burden. You've listed the worst things in at my life. At least if three of you were dying. <laughs> I don't have something to look forward to. Why are you guys always hungry? Yeah, it's it, and it's that funny thing, like, when you feel forced to be grateful as well. Like, I know there's so much I have to be grateful for, yeah. but it's also so much that's really challenging right now. And, I, you know, it's, it's just that constant kind of guilt you feel about, like, well, I have so much more than most people, and I do... And it makes you, it just invalidates your actual feelings and it makes you feel worse and it just becomes this doom yeah. spiral. So no more. No more. No more. I reckon at the start of the pandemic, when you were struggling with like with work, your marriage, and also having kids at home and like two very, very different kids at very different ages, it was so much on your plate all at once. And because all these people were worried about their employment, you kept saying, this is really hard. I am getting up at three in the morning, but at least I still have a job. I was like, what? I would not say that. I'd be like, this is fucked. Yeah, it's just a, it's a, that weird kind of self-censoring that happens yeah. where you feel like you constantly have to just be on guard for any potential way you could invalidate someone else. But in the process, you invalidate yourself. So no more self-invalidation. No more. I'm having a bad day. <laughs> Good for you. Deal I'm with it. Thrilled I'm hanging out with you. <laughs> Good for me. Any minute the personality will shift. <laughs> but in other news, we've got a new program on SBS coming up. David and Margaret and, oh, and Lucas. Oh, my God. So speaking of people who aren't handling things very well, Lucas, my partner, is losing his tiny mind. He is actually quite manic. So he's actually he's not, he's not actually mentally unwell, but it feels like I'm living with someone with mania. And it is a um, – so, like, he'll be so happy and so excited and everything I say, he will roar laughing. And if anyone has heard Lucas's laugh before, they will understand what I'm talking about. It booms. Like, the windows rattle it's when he laughs. very loud. And he can't – like, his eyes are so wide 
and it just cut his mouth is huge so it just boot like it just shoots out at you you can almost feel his laugh it's somewhere it's between like santa and a hyena <laughs> it's beautiful breaking into your house it's at 3 a.m it's very sexy and on ice <laughs> it's full on so then i'll okay, and because you know i'm naturally very hilarious but i'll say i'll say anything i'll be like oh um eddie did this funny thing this morning and kids aren't that funny so he just said something I'm like oh she said this haha uh-huh. or she mispronounced this word hilarious and he will like he'll oh, lose, lose it. it lose it like hysterical and i'll be like oh, okay cool but it's one of the most beautiful things in the world how i just i shout out to lucas he adores you and he thinks you're just the most magnificent person in the whole wide world he just pisses himself every time you do anything i wish someone loved me like that <laughs> so nice no, well i do mate oh I'll, I'll break all your windows with my laugh if you want <laughs> if that's what shows you love but he's at the moment he is like and then so these moods from like like pure joy mania will just shift and they will go to this really dark place where he oh he's so crank, cranky about everything he yesterday he was annoyed at me and i was like are you annoyed at me and he said yeah so why? He said, because you're annoyed at me. I was like, no, I'm not. And he went, oh, okay, fine. And then, that, and then he was silent for another hour. I was like, what the hell is going on? But the other night I was lying in bed. He said, I, I have to go do some more work. I was like, oh, okay. I just thought I could tell you. And he was like, Bron, I have to go do some more work. Okay, shivers, it must be really important. I thought he might have a call. He went into the study. And then about five minutes later, I got a text from him. And he said, hi, full stop. Um read my movie review full stop i was like wow this is weird what movie review so i went on to i opened it and he had made a review about a movie that we we saw in march he's gone on to google movie reviews whatever it it's is it's a thing it's a thing and he has given this movie fractured one star <laughs> and it says it is the most forgettable movie I have ever seen in my life. So forgettable, I watched it a second time years later, having no idea I had in fact seen it years before. The only reason why I know the name of this movie is because my sister sent me a text re- referencing Fracture. I didn't reply for a week because I had no idea what she was talking about. <laughs> we had spoken extensively about how bad this movie is only days before. Forgettable is the perfect word to describe this film. <laughs> Mate, you need a hobby. Oh shit! It's like, mate, it's like the irony is, is like we saw it so long ago. It's like this is literally the only thing you're thinking about. Exactly. It should be called unforgettable. unforgettable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so no one is doing that well. But soon we're going to open up again, and everything will be fine and yeah. magnificent. Yeah, totally, and it will be great, and everyone will go back to feeling something. And if it's shit, good for you. If it's great, also good for you. Get fucked. <laughs> Don't tell me. (laughs) They want their windows smashed. It's a strange time to be alive. What's happening in the news? Oh, it's been big. It's been big. It happened a little while ago. Actually, last Friday, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She died at age 87 after a long battle with cancer. As a young woman, she was demoted from the public service for falling pregnant. By many accounts, the experience lit a fire in her. She was one of the first women to, women to study law at Harvard, one of nine women in a class of 500 men, and did it while having a young child. 
At law school, the Dean of Law asked her and her fellow female colleagues, why are you at Harvard Law School taking the place of a man? Good accent. Thank you, that's exactly what he said. Very like. British for Harvard. I was there. She, <laughs> yeah. she advocated for gender equality and the rights of women throughout her career. The notorious RBG founded the Women's Rights Project at ACLU, fought for equal protection of women's rights under the US Constitution, was the first woman to hold a full professorship at Columbia University, and fought her way to the highest court in the States, one built by a founding father who emphasised that women had no place in understanding the US government and separation of powers. She famously changed the language of the time from sex discrimination, writing that her secretary told her, I look at these pages and all I see is sex, sex, sex. Oh the judges are men, and when they read that, they're not going to be thinking about what you want to think, what them to think about. Gender discrimination became the term of the times. Oh, everyone in America is talking about the impact Ruth's death had and what it means for the court there. We're going to unpack why it matters to the states and why it might matter to Australia too. The Supreme Court is the highest court in America. It consists of one Chief Justice and eight Justices. Each Justice has a lifetime tenure. They're appointed by the President with the consent of the Senate and stay there until they die, resign, retire or are removed. It's pretty different to the High Court in Australia where, justice, where a Justice might retire at the age 70. In the States, Supreme Court Justices kick along for years. Oliver Wendell retired at 90 and William Douglas served 36 years. That's older than me. That is close, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The appointments are super political. Each time the Republicans or Democrats are in power, they clamour to make appointments because the balance of power in the court rests on how many progressive and conservative justices are in the court of nine. And as Brom pointed out, they tend to hang around for a long time. Ages. Back in 2016, Justice... Antonin Scalia died near the end of Obama's term. Mitch McConnell, the Republican Senate leader, led a movement by the Republican-controlled Senate to ref refuse and let the Obama administration move a vote on who would replace Justice Scalia. They asked the American people choose the next justice through the pe presidential election. They wanted to stack the court with conservatives. This is a big goal of each party in power. And they won, and Trump appointed two conservative justices. The most recent, Brett Kavanaugh, famous for being accused of sexual assault by multiple women. Cool. What a guy. He's <laughs> such a creep. The Republicans asked to set a, president, uh, a precedent last election, and this year, uh, they're turning around and saying, LOL, 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 just tricking. <laughs> We're going to push the vote through. We're chucking in another justice before the election. What precedent, right? This matters because there's already a conservative majority in the US Supreme Court. It matters because of lots of social justice issues, but the one thing that everyone is particularly frightened about is abortion. Abortion has been legal in the US since the case Roe versus Wade in 73. Abortion rights haven't stopped being on the agenda, with pro-life groups fighting to have it banned. Recently, a pro-life advocate and leader of group of Students for Life in America, Kristen, Haw Kristen Hawkins, said, Our ultimate goal, and we've been very clear with this, I want to give her a voice. I'm going to give her a you voice. You can give her a voice. Our ultimate goal, and we've been very clear with this, 
is an America without abortion, where abortion is made illegal and unthinkable. They, well, that was a very good voice. That's how she speaks. <laughs> good, it's perfect. So they want a conservative stack court to undo Roe versus Wade. But this is America, right? It's yeah. a global superpower slash massive bin fire. <laughs> yeah. Why does it matter? Uh, because it continues to politicise women's bodies and the head of the Western world sets the tone for other nations. It takes away our ability to choose for ourselves and puts it in the hands of others. It criminalises our autonomy. It makes women things to be owned and controlled. Australia's laws are only recently recognising the reproductive rights of women. New South Wales, for example, only decriminalised abortion in October 2019. That's last year, mates. That decision was a deeply political one, held over and fought against by powerful conservative men. That's madness. It is last year. Last year. Oh my god. Access to sexual and reproductive health services and abortion isn't as easy for Australian women. Uh, it's ru- in rural and re- regional areas with women uh, with intersecting disadvantage. It's hard to access care and services. It's not. You're right, mate. It's not always easy. And even for you know, you know, wealthy metropolitan women, it can be really difficult to access abortion. For example, um, there was a service which used to post um, the the pill, IU four eight six, which has recently just run out of funding. So the only way you can do oh. it is to physically go somewhere, which can be really, really difficult, especially if you're in a controlling or coercive relationship. If you're ashamed if you're poor there are so many things that make it difficult so but Bren, what have your experiences been with your ability to choose for your own body well um so i have during my time as a woman <laughs> my experiences i have i remember going on the pill at a younger age so i can maybe eight, 17 or 18 and i remember that process this is in canberra in what is that 2003 or something and you had to make an appointment at a family planning center Mm. which even those words for me I was like I'm not planning a family this is why I'm on the pill like it felt so backwards but it was in the city and it was in this really obvious place so you knew that anyone who was going in there and even if you didn't know who was going in there that that I it's called family planning planning center so you feel like you are like there's a spotlight on you as you're walking in so I was terrified but uh, more terrified to have a baby at that age. So I did go, but I just remember the questions that I would get asked. Like I remember I was sitting in the room so terrified um, being asked, does your mother and father know you're here? God. And and I was like, oh no, actually. Uh, Okay. How would they feel about you going on the pill? I was like, oh gosh, fine, I think. That's not a conversation. I've never spoken about that stuff with my parents. I I don't think you have to speak about that stuff with your parents. If you do, amazing. But I don't think that that's an important thing of having a close friendship with a relationship (laughs) with your mum. Is like, what position do you like, mum? Like I was not, I was not comfortable with it. And the other thing was, how many sexual partners have you had? And I remember being so excited at that time because I was able to say one. But what already I knew that there was a bad thing to have more than mm. a certain amount at that age. And the lady was impressed. Like, she nodded and she ticked a thing and was like, well, that's good. And then it went on to her explaining, you know, you still have to have condoms and stuff. But it was such an experience that made me feel like shit. Yeah. But I was told to feel lucky that I had access to it. Mm. And another one um, was... When I was, again, 17 or 18, I was with my 
boyfriend at the time and uh, the condom broke, which was mortifying. And I remember being so, so, so scared and convinced that I was instantly pregnant, which God, Christ's sake, I probably was. But I remember being so, so scared and having to, at, the, at that stage, 2003, 2004, having to book an appointment at a doctor's surgery to get the morning after pill. Mm. Do you remember those days? Yes. Yes. So now, obviously, it's over the counter. And the pharmacist. Yep. Thank the God. Thank God. But it is a. Um, but at that stage, I had to book an appointment at a, a doctor surgery, and when I went, there was. Um, I I went with my boyfriend at the time, and I said, "Oh, I just have an appointment. Um, my name's this." And they were like, "Okay, great. Just take a seat." And I'm sitting down. It was those really, really. Like those doctor surgeries with a lot of people in the waiting room and everyone can hear everything because everyone's so quiet in the waiting rooms. And I remember sitting down and feeling so nervous and so scared and then noticing this big board behind the receptionist that had a huge sign that said, these are the doctors that will not prescribe the morning after pill. And I had eight of the 10 doctors listed on there. And I was like, oh my God, the chan- I don't know which doctor I'm seeing. Chances are I'm seeing one of those. Mm. And then I'm going to have to face someone's political views on my body. And I don't, I'm already feeling horrible about this anyway. So I had to stand up and everyone could hear me. I said, am I seeing any of those doctors? And the receptionist looked me up and down, looked at my boyfriend. <sighs> and kind of looked so disgusted by me <laughs> and then said, no, you're not. You're fine. Gosh. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I felt horrible. I felt like I was on fire in this waiting room. Finally, I went in to see the doctor. And the doctor, again, a million questions about my sexual history that did not make any sense as to why. How, like, well, how many sexual partners have you had before this? Before my, te- my, my terrified bo- boyfriend was in the room with me. It's, he was just as scared as I was, I guess. Because our our history was not ours anymore. Like our bodies were not ours. It was, here you go. We are like idiot 17 year olds, 18 year olds. We don't know what we're doing. Mm. We are scared. Can you help us? And they were saying, not until you jump through this hoop, this hoop, this hoop, this hoop. And we make you feel like A, B, C, and D. And then at the end you can have this pill, which at that time was like $50 or something. It was crazy. And then you can feel like, you know, you have terrible cramps and everything. But I remember feeling those cramps and being like, oh, this is, I kind of deserve it. I deserve this. it. Yeah. <laughs> I deserve, this is, it was horrible. And then it just, but obviously now it's changed, but I'll never, ever forget how, whilst they were saying it's available, how um, shitty they made me feel and about it. how much shame was attached yeah. to the experience. What about you? Well, I, um, so I've had an abortion. And I, I, you know what, this is, it's such a political thing to admit and I will be very interested to see what the response of making that admission on this podcast is. And it's one of those things where when I reflect on the experience to, I I don't, I don't feel bad about it. I just don't. And I feel like I should. I feel like I should feel guilty and ashamed. I feel like I should feel a sense of responsibility. I feel like I should apologize, but I don't. Mm. And the thing is, we there's all there's already so much pressure and ownership on women's bodies, and the responsibility and the impact of you know um, reproductive choices is is on us. We have to carry that physical burden of children and having them or deciding not to have them, and. Right now I care about my children who are, you know, here. Mm. And I'm grateful that I could access 
that service because mm. it means that my children that I have now here are, you know, I'm in a place where I can take care of them and I can support them and I can love them and I can pay for them. And if not for the availability of abortion in Australia, that wouldn't be the truth. It, yeah. was, it would it would be a very, very, very different situation for me. And I just, I won't apologize. I won't, I won't say it's something that hangs over me. I won't say it's a decision that I wonder about because I don't, because mm. it was, it was something that I needed to do. And yeah, the oh idea God. that yeah, I couldn't access that and I couldn't determine the trajectory of my own life makes me so angry. Well, yeah. And having someone say no to you. Exactly. No, no. this is your this fault. Is, you, it's your fault. It's your burden. And this child is your, not child, sorry, this embryo this mm. is your responsibility and you have to pay for what you've done. Like, that's the thing, right? Yeah. And also, like, I think you, you've said this to me before, it's America really, really, really cares about these conservative people really, really care about an unborn baby. Oh my God, they care about it so much. It, even if the mother is so poor, mentally unwell, has no support, has no friends. Or maybe just in a doesn't want it. Just doesn't, just want, doesn't, doesn't want a baby. The extent of reasons as to why this baby should, like, doesn't like the mother does not want to have this baby just huge and the conservative people care so much about this but feel so sorry for it oh my god it's so important but the second that baby is born they don't care they about don't it. give a shit and what's more they will criminalize and punish that baby particularly if it's from a poor or disadvantaged background and we'll say we told you so when it ends up in the justice system like it's just such a cruel cruel system and you know it, it it's this is just about controlling women right controlling and punishing women and yep. subjugating them and keeping them under you know the, the thumb and, the, and and the ideologies of men and this is it's it, this isn't just an american thing because these conversations occur in australia we have we still have debates about the right to protest in front of abortion clinics because that there's some states that say it's absolutely fine some yeah. states have, have said you can't yeah. they have to be within like two or 20 meters but or still it's fucking close enough to feel exactly. like, like a piece of shit exactly it's, you don't want anyone having an opinion on it no, no one no, no one it's the only person who should have an opinion on it is the person who is accessing the service yeah right and I'm careful with my language because it is a service. It's a service like going to the dentist mm. or, you know, getting something or cut off your skin. It is a service that every woman should have access to because you should be able to choose. And no birth control is 100% effective. No. It's just not. Here's another interesting fact. More than half of women in Australia who access abortion are already mothers. Yeah. Yeah. Which, of course, it makes perfect sense, More than right? half. More than half. There you go. Yeah. So these are people who are supposed to be in a situation where they um, already have a home yeah. or, or they already have a system in place where yeah. they can uh, include another baby. It is a choice. It's it a choice. has to be a choice that, that someone is making for themselves and their family. And ha taking that choice away is so damaging. And if it, if this goes through in America, if these all of the new people who are appointed, the conservatives completely win and this happens, whilst this is, uh, this is horrific for America, uh, but this will bleed into Australia oh, absolutely. somehow. We have a conservative government in power. Our prime minister is quite a conservative Christian. His ideologies in this space are pretty clear. This isn't this isn't a foreign idea that it could happen here, that we could have some sort of limitation on access to it. So I think it's really important that we continue to advocate. We should be the only people who can choose about our own bodies mm. and reproductive health and reproductive freedom is critically important if you're talking about the equality of women. Yeah, and all the, it seems like contraception is mostly uh, a female's responsibility a lot of the time, apart from condoms. Exactly. Else. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, it's it's always up to the woman to think about it, and even the condom thing, it's still like, 
you know, yeah, it's or, something you have to ask for. Yeah, and the blokes will, there's a lot of blokes who are like, oh, I just prefer not to have that. Yeah, you know what I prefer not to have? Um, but a baby. Yeah, or an abortion. No, it'd be very expensive. <laughs> I imagine they hurt quite a lot. They do. The morning after pills uncomfortable. Exactly. I just I imagine it would be really But yucky. just that kind of freedom to be so cavalier about it, right? And yeah. just to be like, my, my immediate pleasure matters more yeah. than your entire life. But also this idea that abortions are um, an, an easy decision for someone to make. I don't think anyone's like, it's cut and dry. I know that I would, if I had fallen, if I did not access the morning after pill when I was 17, mm. or whenever that happened, 17, 18, and I did fall pregnant, I would 100% not have had that baby. Yeah. I yeah. would not have had it. It yeah. would not have, it wouldn't have made sense. It would have been a really shocking life for me and the baby. I would have been trapped with this, of that ex-boyfriend, which um, even though he was lovely, I don't want to be trapped no. next with him in yeah. my life. There's so many reasons why I would not have had that baby and I wouldn't have felt bad about it. But I imagine I would have, uh, there, as in like I wouldn't have regretted it, but I would have felt you know the, the sadness oh, yeah, that would come with it the grief and all of these things that i didn't i didn't want in the first mm. place but they are you know part and parcel yeah. of it abortion isn't like oh yeah obviously that is going to happen it's yeah fine it will happen but i'm gonna hurt a lot from and this i think i think that's a really individual experience and this came up a couple of years ago when um when everybody was talking about decriminalizing abortion in new south wales and there was an, there was a movement of women saying actually it was like that for me. I made a decision. I went through the surgery. It was annoying, but it was done. Right. Like, and I like, and and this idea, I I think there's a level of socialization in there where you feel like you should feel regret and grief and pain and sadness because you're, you know, you're killing a baby and that's Mm. not, that's not actually the reality of what's happening. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't, don't, maybe grief isn't the right word, but it's that whole thing of like, I'm going to feel sore and I'm going to have time off and I'm going to have to, I'm going to feel, you know, your hormones. Hormone off, hormone off. Forget it. Absolutely. You'd be crying. You'd be Lucas. You'd be crying. (laughs) Lucas running (laughs) movie Fractured was a terrible movie. One star. Abortion is a terrible one star. But I think it's, it's, that, it's that lack of control that you have over your body that you have to make a decision of again. And then someone having to say, that idea of someone saying, actually, this mm-hmm. isn't your decision yeah. anymore. It's terrifying and absolutely no thanks. The best answer I have is just complete abstinence great. for me personally. Yeah, I think that's a great <laughs> idea. It's the safest option. <laughs> it's never been that bad for but me. For everyone out there, I mean, it's, it's, it's an important conversation to be a part of. You may have different political ideological views to us we're both very strongly um pro-choice and pro-women's rights but i guess unpacking a little bit about why you might feel differently is important right now because you know our voices are important but yeah the equality of women is pretty important yeah and if the if the government is shifting if things if the wind is shifting in America, then it's not. It does. It doesn't take that long to reach us. Absolutely. So understanding your political views or understanding how you feel about this is really important. You might actually be pro-life, but also articulating why and having a healthy discussion as to why I think yeah. is really important. And considering whether or not your ideology should apply to anybody else, like making a personal choice is one thing, right? Yeah. Saying I don't believe in it, but 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 pushing it on other people. Yeah. That's something entirely. We're talking about pushing things on people <laughs> who are in our lives and yes. are also small. We are thinking about the bits of ourselves we push on our children. Mm. So we're reflecting on the role of parents. So a trace genetic. And how does that change the way we look at our parents, ourselves, and our kids? As adults. And we are them. We are, are we? <laughs> 
It means sometimes. Surprise. And I think some people who listen are adults. I know it's not children. Exactly. Don't listen to this if you're a child. Don't listen to this if you're anyone. Shut up. Do something worthwhile. Oh, God. Put on the telly. As adults, we often cringe when we're compared to our parents. My mum lights up like lights up when people say that we look like sisters Aww. or when they say, oh, I can see, gosh, you look like your mother. If, if my mum's in earshot, when I get that comparison, she is ecstatic. Not because I'm a total babe, but because she's proud that uh, like you can... The similarity. Yeah, the similarity. Yeah. And I immediately turn into like this really annoyed grumpy teenager <laughs> yeah. like instantly I'm like oh my god it's so loud and it annoys me and I don't know and I know that other people get really frustrated when they are likened to their parents because it is confronting to be compared to someone who we know so well mm-hmm. and sometimes their positive attributes can be really intimidating I know that if I was Michelle Obama's daughter and they said gosh you're so much like your mother I'd be terrified yeah <laughs> like, oh my god what am I, I can't be michelle obama but also because their flaws are really scary yeah. you see you see your parents in all different shapes and forms over your as you're growing up and when someone says gosh you're so much like your mother you immediately just put yourself you're like oh my god i'm mum and that can be scary and intimidating at the mm, same time mm. so do we eventually turn into our parents so my mum had a copy of this book called my mother myself which i'm pretty sure she absolutely refused to read <laughs> and i read it again and again as a kid and just fascinated by the story of a woman and her fight against and then her acceptance of becoming like her mother and i think about my interactions mm. with that book and i wonder how about how our girls will navigate what is inevitably like us about them what do you reckon what are, what are, how are your girls like you and Lucas. Oh right? gosh. Okay. So um, when Olive was born, she was really angry. So mm. everyone was like, "Oh, she's she grown." Yeah, <laughs> it made sense. Like she was so cranky. Gosh, she was the crankiest kid. She was so cantankerous. And Lucas was, um, and she looked like Lucas. She looked yeah. like this tiny Polish lump. And um, everyone's like, "Gosh, she looks like Lucas, but she's a lot like you, isn't yeah. she?" And that was so. I started crying and yelling and pooing my pants. It was. It's just what we did, but she's so as she's grown up, she's much less angry. She actually is sheer delight now. She's which a is, lovely child. She, but she bites her nails, which is something mm. that I do, which is disgusting. And so she gets little things from me. And I remember being quite a nervous little kid. So I can when she's nervous, I feel for her. I'm like, mm. oh, the break, it makes my heart break a bit when I'm like, oh no. But I think that that is mostly from Lucas's side of the family. Lucas is, like I said, Polish, and there's something I love Polish people. I'm all, always hang out with. I always find myself surrounded by Polish people. They're just excellent, but they worry a lot. Mm. They worry so much about things that are completely not in their control. About um, they tend to look at the negatives and things and Mm. hold on to that and it's not like they're not not just like a pack of wet blankets that go around and be like you know the world could end today you know they're not doomsdays but they are you know some if someone's pregnant they will say things like oh i hope it's healthy and it's like, well, of course it's going to be healthy. That's terrifying. You know, but that's, yeah. it comes from a good it's place. It's just, yeah, just their, their way of looking at things. Exactly. It comes from a really good place, but they worry so much. I know they're all terrified of cancer. Oh, God. So not necessarily Lucas's family, but there's a Polish shop in Melbourne where Lucas will go and buy Polish food. And the, uh, the you can buy tomato sauce there that's always in glass. And... It turns out that they don't, the lady will not sell tomato sauce that's in plastic because it will give you cancer. Oh, cute. Did you know that? I didn't know that. And Lucas's <laughs> mum, she's magnificent, but she thinks that if you sleep with a fan on in your room, you'll get cancer. Oh, yeah. No, no, I think, or you'll die. 
One or the other. I think they both have the same end product. Maybe one's more immediate. One is, I think it's you die. Okay. I think it's you die. You die with the fan on. Things of will, cancer. Yeah, it could be both immediate. I don't know. But it's it, it, that I can see that in Olive. And Lucas can see that in Olive. She'll worry about things and she'll... And I think that's also the, the nail-biting thing, but... I would love to have to remove that bit yeah, from her. Like I know that it comes from, but also she's so kind. Yeah, and that's because she's always thinking about how everyone's feeling, and she'll, you know, she looks after your like baby Frida when Frida's like in a terrible mood, and all the other kids always. Are, yeah, <laughs> it's like Frida's a psycho and like runs away. <laughs> well, with all the captors, so there's kindness and the worrying. Like, like can you have them without yeah, each other? Yeah, that's interesting. But what about you? Well, Frida has my stubbornness, definitely. I get very kind of set in ideas, but she has a ferocity that I don't have, which mm. I think is quite beautiful. But, yeah, she's also not a sleeper. She's like me. Like, yeah. she fights it wildly. And while she's gotten much better as she's gotten older, I see a lifelong insomnia in her, which is such a gift. Thanks, Mum. Well, who is that? The person is Tori Spelling. Tori Spelling. Exactly. Frida and me. Best buds. Chocolates. <laughs> It's interesting because the girls, I think they're more Wally than me in personality. So bless him, bless them. Stevie <laughs> is the slowest woman in the world. <laughs> this It kills me. She just drags behind us like a gigantic six-year-old human snail. Like going for a walk with her is torture. Oh, I know. It is the slowest <laughs> She just, uh, she has no, no kind of rush or need in her little silly no body. None at all. She's just, everything is slow. Like getting dressed in the morning, half an hour, got to plan it in it, like eating breakfast, an hour. Everything is slow. And if you know me, Bronwyn, it is the opposite. <laughs> I, so I cannot, I will not. And I mean, it's good because it's taught me a lot about just being patient and slowing down, but mostly it's just taught me to be really annoyed at her. Yeah, there is. I walked for, went for a walk with her around at Merry Creek, and it's like she walks sideways. I was like, yes. how are we not going forwards? It's like, you know how you do those obstacle courses, and you have to, like, lie with your arms at the sides and glue your legs together and wiggle around like a worm? Never it's, seen it's that. that. but walking. <laughs> not, never seen it. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, I just, I, 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 feel, I feel like they're just deeply different to me which I'm often very relieved by I don't want them to have a lot of my traits yeah okay but I do I, I reckon when I see there's some things that I do worry about like I like I know we've spoken about this we had a podcast I mean an episode a while back we had Jessica we have a podcast <laughs> no <laughs> out of my house there's a a, um, our our friend Jess Sanders was on she wrote excellent excellent books about empowering um, little kids about being proud of their bodies and she was uh, talking we talked a lot about what uh, it's like to like raise girls and for them to not worry about their, their bodies and it's nearly impossible and I see with Olive and Edie they've got almost identical bodies except for their adorable bums like oh, olive cute. has this delicious round bum uh, and it kind of looks like two peaches are delicately placed in her stockings and Edie, uh, she has this flat little bottom that looks like two fluffy pikelets just stuffed into her leggings <laughs> and they have no idea they look different and as I watch their adorable bum cheeks run down the hall after bath, I dread to think that one day one of them will think that a peach trumps a pikelet or vice oh, versa. No, because how could it? Like, I mean, it's like for me, do you know? Like, with yeah. me looking at them, I'm like, oh my god, they're just excellent. But I know that one day, and the world on, loves peaches. The world loves peaches, but 
they used to love pipettes. They did. And who knows? <laughs> exactly. So they've got these this this thing on their bodies that is makes marks them as different. Will when they turn sixteen or however when they start to feel like their bodies have to be sexy, Christ, I hope it's not early in sixteen. Will peaches or pikelets be in? And will one of them be jealous of the other? I remember mm. being really jealous of my older sister because she has, she's just really lovely and long and she's got, um, she's so tan. She has a snake. <laughs> <laughs> a tan snake. It's a, I'm so jealous. Which <laughs> is so lovely and long. She had these really, really. Um, long brown legs and all of the boys were madly in love with her and I was this kind of like um, frumpy very pasty girl who every and boys would often say to me are you Amy Lewis's sister? Oh my god. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, can't say anything alike. It's like, brutal, oh. mate. Which was a, such, it was, it was an insult because yeah. she was the coolest girl ever. But I do remember constantly comparing my body to her and when you grow up with a sister, like, did you ever do that with your sister? Yeah, I think I think so. We we weren't we weren't particularly close as teenagers, but I remember it was it was that thing, right? Where where we I think we both fought to not be like each other because we weren't close, and so it was this constant battle to be dissimilar mm. in and and not not wanting to be compared to you know the other. And then I look at Frida and Stevie, and it's like quite a different age gap, and. They look, they look quite different as well. Like mm. Stevie looks exactly like me. It's, yeah. it's mad. She's just my doppelganger. But Frida looks like her dad with my colouring. And um, it's really confronting to see the similarities because, like, I think they're just so beautiful, right? You just mm. see your kids and you're just like, you were the most beautiful little widow in the whole wide world. But also when I see my traits and my characteristics in them, particularly physically, like the bits that I don't like, which as a woman, like again, it's a lot, right? Like my stumpy fingers. Your and split personality. My split personality. <laughs> <laughs> and like my, my larger chin and like all these things. Because so Stevie got your chin, didn't she? Yeah, she's got my chin. I mean, when Stevie was born, you said, I went into the, it was, you were still in the birthing suite. There was still blood everywhere and you were holding this squishy, God, she was so fat. So cute. So, so cute and so fat. You're holding a squishy, widgety grub in your arms and you were like, look at her. I was like, oh, she's lovely. And one of the first things you said was, I think she's got Wally's chin. And you were so excited. And I could tell she definitely had your chin. Because <laughs> it was smoking you in the face. <laughs> yeah, because it was resting on my shoulder. <laughs> it was offering me a cup of tea. <laughs> no thanks, chin. No, it's, no, it's but you've got great chin. I love your chin. It does, it's, if it's you didn't a have, strong chin. It's a strong chin. If you had a different chin, you would not have your face. Yeah. And it's, like the, it's the face that I've been running from for a long time. <laughs> Like I had, just, I don't like my face. I do not think Which I'm. Which is amazing to me. You've got it, a great it's, it's face. But a thing where nobody like it's this thing where you just taught to not like yourself. Oh, and I see that, and I see Stevie particularly, and I'm like, everyone's like, she looks just like you. I'm like, don't tell her that. Oh, <laughs> but she'd love it now. Yeah, she, no one just now she will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, and I can dress her in matching outfits, and she's like, this is cool. We're cool, mum. <laughs> we're definitely cool. Tell everyone we're cool. I'm not a regular mum. <laughs> I think I, it's so important that I've come to peace with these things about yeah. myself and learn to love them because at some point they will rub off, right? Yeah. And you kids, you notice, you know, like I, I definitely noticed how much my mum didn't like her body when I was growing, when I was growing up. I noticed mm. from being really, really young, mm. and because you know, because obviously there's physical similarities there, I learned that mine was also not that good, and so it's my kind of 
like now that we have the the language and the understanding of that you know now that we're living in the time that we are it's a real responsibility to not hand those same insecurities down to your kids but I am because I don't love how I look. Oh, I hate that. But Me too. Yeah, and I think that when parents, there'll be listeners who will be thinking about what their parents were like growing up, whether their parents were constantly dieting. You notice if your mum's eating something different to no, you. No, definitely. My mum never did. She had an eating disorder when she was 16, I think. So she, um, and she's also naturally quite thin. Yeah, like she's she was a tiny lady. The skinniest legs you'll ever see. Um, like two snakes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got reptiles in my family. <laughs> But she, but she has, um, yeah, I remember her, she just ate whatever when we were yeah. growing up. But also that, that meant that I had a skinny mum and I was quite a chubby teenager. So I was like, oh, God, For why don't I look sake. like my mum now? <laughs> rude. Yeah, for God's sake. Yeah, so you can't, you can't win. You can't win, can you? Can't, you? you can't. Well, we can win and kind of embedding a different way of looking yeah. at themselves in our tiny children and accepting that good bits and bad bits will come out of them but also re-articulating it like you know like one of my a good bit and a bad bit about me is that I'm you know I'm I'm very generous but to a fault to the point, point where like I, I get way too kind of emotionally connected to making other people feel good and yeah. with that comes like you know pressure that doesn't isn't needed in relationships but also um means I neglect myself because I'm like I'll put these feelings that I'm feeling over here and just mm. put my feelings into someone else and that's not healthy at all no. and it's kind of like it's seen as kindness and generosity but actually it's just a lack of kind of self-care right well and um, Stevie does that too like sometimes we'll, yeah. you know, Olive, will, Olive will be like I like that toy and Stevie will be like you can have it yeah she does I, I she does what, what I used to do I used to like like buy my friendship at primary school like I used to like bring things and give them to kids please buy my friend oh god my... why is that stopped I'd be rich <laughs> no <laughs> doing this shit for free but it's it's really weird because it's something that's kind of celebrated in people right and like you're generous yeah. and you give people things that's actually not good and yeah. i don't want her to do that good but she does it because she sees me doing it yeah yeah well i think yeah also the other there's lots of things of being like being super too positive all the time being super positive being like always seeing the, the silver lining yeah, with yeah. Us, that can be good at some point like today when you were feeling shit or you mm. found it really struggle you found it really hard to say like oh, i just don't feel good yeah it's a thing right it's called to- i've only re- learned about it recently it's called toxic toxic positivity and it means that you because you're kind of forcing positivity you don't actually allow other people to feel mm. and it's a toxic trait yeah, don't be that person. Yeah, no. Just let someone... I feel just, shit. Yeah, and just be like, good for you. Yeah, exactly. Not, it's going to get better any day now. Yeah. And we, and Victorians would really feel this, especially with other states oh right now. Oh my God, fuck off Hang everyone. in there, guys. You guys are doing so FWA well. FWA tells me one more thing. <laughs> I'm going to scream. No, what about... I'm going to do one, two, as you fucking 10,000 sports stadiums dicks. Yeah, go suck a dick. <laughs> Sal, one of our listeners, she was so... She's making complaints. She just moved here, poor darling moved here at the start of 2020 or the end of 2019 and um did not real from adelaide did not realize that this was going to be um an absolute shit hell to move to sorry mate sorry sal and so she was saying she made a facebook post the other day where she was like oh my god can everyone in south australia please stop giving me advice on how to handle a pandemic because you have actually no (laughs) idea stop reading the paper and just like leave me alone it's like me being like i'm gonna give you advice on how to be the president (laughs) (laughs) how to be michelle obama exactly be just like her daughters disappointments (laughs) (laughs) oh Oh, it's been a ride today mate we have talked about reproductive rights our traits and how they're bleeding into our children 
And also there's never-ending lockdown and also the beauty and magic of our friendship. It's been a magical time. <laughs> Can't wait to get paid for it, though. I just realized that was one of the benefits. Where is our Hyundai Hyundai? <laughs> I will settle for a Toyota Toyota. Toyota's way better than Hyundai. I don't know anything. I just want to freak out. It's <laughs> anything. Biscuit. Exactly. Send us sweet carbs. If you're in a different state, stop telling people in Victoria to hang in there. Send, send, send something nice. Yeah, send chocolate biscuits your pieces of oh, shit that'd be so good <laughs> all right we'd be good chillers we love you guys bye, bye.